It's Friday night and the mood is right. We're gonna have some fun, show you how it's done, DGIF. Alright, welcome to week number 107 of the Two Guys in the Fridays podcast. My name is Steven. That over there is Travis. Hey, Steve. How was your trip to New York? It was good. Uh, I mean, did, did you little, see any TGIF stuff? Ooh, can I even relate? anything maybe to tgif baby talk did you see like the baby talk apartment you no know, that's what i should have done i should have at least gone to like the doctor's office right or the baby are the apartments the the like the buildings that they both they lived in or she lived in well they i guess lived in do they show times. the exterior of the buildings i guess they oh yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they definitely do that's like how they start every episode they zoom in on like the interior i have a feeling that that information is not online like if we were to search like the locations from baby talk <laughs> You're probably right. I, I would. I, I'm not sure if anyone's actually buckled down and done that. But in my head, um, Doctor Elliot's office is up near Central Park. Like I don't know if that's you true think. Or not, you think so? That's where I, I picture it in my head. Like on on the east side of Central Park, maybe about halfway up. Sure, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Uh, if next time either of us go up, we'll have to like do some do some investigating on the show. Yeah. Or by then we probably won't care, but I'll always care about baby talk. Hey, uh, welcome to the podcast. If this is the first time here, um, Travis and I go back and we watch uh, whatever aired on TGIF 30 years ago. And then every Friday we come back here and talk about it for you. To you. That's what we do. Yeah. This week would have been October 4th, 1991. Yeah. And uh, thanks to Tazos for the theme song this week. Yeah, thank you. Anyone can submit one. Yeah, just send us an email, uh, tgifcast at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to do it. You can also follow us on all social media at tgifcast if you've, uh, you don't know, just want to see like what's coming up on the next week or if we've got interviews coming up or anything like that. We also have a YouTube channel too. You can go to YouTube, just search Two Guys in a Fridays. And uh, we've got any of the uh, interviews. A lot of those have videos to go with them. So a lot of those are up there. So go check it out, Two Guys into Fridays on YouTube. Yeah, definitely. Check out the interviews. They're they're good. They're fun to watch. It's yeah. fun to see these people like in real life. For sure. Um, so we always start the show. We go back. We look at what was going on in the world 30 years ago. So back on November the 30th, 1991, a show that um, played a big part in my childhood and also, I mean, really for the last like 30 years almost. It just I think they just stopped production of it like recently. Uh, any idea? What am I talking about? That they just stopped production on? Yeah, I mean, it. they had a 25th anniversary of it, so it was at least 25 years. And then, like, the last few years are kind of hesitant, like, exactly, like, if it was the same show kind of thing. But uh, I, I'm at a loss. I don't know. I mean, Saved by the Bell, I know, is a big thing for you, but that doesn't sound like Saved by the Bell. The Jerry Springer show started. Oh, September, I know. September 30th, I, I know, like, 1991. Who was hosting it when it when they kind of stopped making it? Was it still Steve Wilkos? Uh, Steve, he did. It was still yeah. Steve. Okay, I was trying to read up on it. Like it moved channels. It like stopped production in like 2018, yeah, yeah. and then like did something weird for. Who's Robert Irvine? Who is that? No idea. It says the CW acquired rerun rights to the show to fill in their hour daytime slot. Oh, that previously aired the Robert Irvine show. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, there was like a 2019 season, and then they had uh, Jerry Springer had a new show called Judge Jerry that aired that started in 2019. So I don't know if that's going on right now or not. I do think I remember hearing about that. Yeah, I don't know. I do think I've ever heard about that. Okay, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, what about movies and music? Number one for this week. 
yeah so the song is still the same it is uh color me bad uh man where did my my list like disappeared while i was talking to you uh mono mono now that's the song from from empire records uh hold on hold on i'm gonna find it oh man i'm sorry it's I'm been sorry. a while since we up. talked about it because the last time i feel like we talked about it was at uh comic con at awesome con it was it was a comic con and it, it, i know it's color me bad i just want to get the name of the song right because i i don't know the name of the song off the top of my head it is i adore me more which i get confused okay. with that song from from uh empire records the the one that Rex Manning sings. I don't know, I don't know if you have any idea what I'm talking about. Have I you mean, ever seen Empire Records? Yeah, for you sure. But I don't remember the song. Mom. Okay. I'm not going to sing it. I don't even know if I can sing it. Uh, anyway, so that's still the number one song. That's week two for Color Me Bad. Number one movie is a new movie. It's The Fisher King, which is a Terry Gilliam movie starring yep. Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. Really, really good movie. Um, I had never seen it before. I'd heard of it, but never really knew much about it. We watched it this week and I really enjoyed it. It's a good movie. Good. Good to hear. Uh, any birthdays? Yes, we do have one birthday. It is uh, Heather Locklear. She, you know, from Going Places. So this will only be, this will probably be the only time we've ever mentioned it. But uh, the 25th, September 25th, Heather Locklear's birthday. Happy birthday, Heather. I mean, you can come on the show, even though we're not watching Going Places anymore. I don't think anyone's going to say no to Heather Locklear. No, I probably won't. No, I won't. So. All right. Uh, That's it. So we do have a full week of brand new shows this week. Uh, we're going Family Matters, Step-by-Step, Perfect Strangers, and Baby Talk. Starting it off with the 8 p.m. slot, Family Matters Season 3, Episode 3, The Show Must Go On is the name of the episode. Yes. So uh, it does start off, we get a little clip, uh, kind of a long one before the theme song starts off. Um, Carl's cleaning, and uh, as he's like cleaning, he's like singing, I think, and he kind of turns his back, and Lieutenant Murtaugh kind of sneaks in behind him and comes into the living room which uh, kind of startles Carl at first. And uh, Murtaugh just kind of goes right at him, starts teasing him for um, kind of doing the women's role in the house is kind of what he's doing, like um, teasing him for cleaning and cooking and says uh, he's got no self-respect and he probably has PMS. And uh, then he gives him a beeper, which kind of is a important part throughout this episode, right? Yeah. Did you ever think that Lieutenant would be this omnipresent, like would be in this many episodes of the show? Um, I mean, that's a weird question because I remember him being in a lot of episodes. Okay. So I, I don't. So this yeah. is, I'm like, man, they just keep, they keep but he's a good character. I mean, I like him. It makes sense it's that fine. someone f- from Carl's job is important on it because, I mean, that his job as being a cop plays a big part of the, of the show You're right. all the way through. But yeah. he's a good foil. He's a good foil for Carl that's yeah. not Urkel or one of the kids. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or Harriet. So yeah. Lieutenant Murtaugh gives him a beeper and tells him, um, put in his purse because he's still joking him about being a woman. And uh, Carl tells Murtaugh that, um, don't worry, he's the man of the house. And as he's saying this, Harriet comes in. She's wearing like a business suit. Kind of looks like she's dressed like a man, and uh, she's got a briefcase and stuff. And she says. Hi, honey, I'm home, which, again, I like because it's maybe not intentional, but it's hi, honey, I'm home. And uh, gives Carl some flowers and asks him, uh, what's for dinner? And that's the end of your uh, kind of opening (laughs) segment there. I think the other thing that's important here is that when Lieutenant gives Carl the beeper, he he makes him he lets him know that it's because Carl needs to be ready to respond at any time. Uh, He's got his review coming up, so he needs to make sure that he looks good for his review and be always on call. Yeah, and I think he mentions too that Carl's the only one in the whole like uh, precinct that's getting this beeper. Like no one else is getting one. Well, and that's because Carl's the only one that has not gotten his review yet. So Carl still has still has that opportunity to you know go, I guess, above and beyond before the review time. 
So we get our theme song. We come back. Uh, the family has now moved to the kitchen. This might be the next day or something. Everyone's in there. Yeah, They're um, like eating breakfast. And Carl's beeper goes off already. So um, I don't think we see exactly what. I think he goes and calls Murtaugh because he doesn't know what it is. Because right. it's a beeper. It's a beeper. That's how beepers work. Yeah. Probably just says like 911M or something to call Lieutenant Murtaugh as quick as possible. But uh, while he goes over to call the phone, um, Steve Urkel shows up. And uh, he is uh, starts reciting some Shakespeare because there's a big play coming up. Laura's getting uh, fitted from her mom, and I think uh, maybe Rachel, they're fitting her for this uh, Shakespeare play. And Urkel comes in. He's kind of dressed a little bit up. Uh, he's got the hat on and stuff. And uh, we know this is going to be something that's big throughout this episode. Yeah, so she's that you're thinking of a, a scene that happens later. They're oh, not dressing. She's not dressed yet. Okay. She's not getting dressed up now. No, he comes in quoting Romeo and Juliet to let every, and you know everyone knows that the does he have his hat on at the scene or no? He does. Okay. He does. Yeah, and the family is like Laura, you should try out. And Urkel tells a story about how he wanted to try out, and the, the Miss Steuben, the the drama teacher, told him he would be perfect. In fact, he would be so perfect and so attractive and such a good Romeo that it would really take away from everybody else. So instead, she's she's asked him to be a, a stagehand. Yep. And uh, you did mention, or did you not? I don't know, uh, that the auditions for this play are happening today. Like, they have to be ready for today. They are. They are. So, Urkel... I, and I've told you before that I was I was the Romeo in my high school production, Romeo. Were you really? You probably I was. have. I just can't I was. see it. I'm sorry. I think we talked about... No, I mean, I, I can't either. It was awful. I was, I was awful. It was not awful. I was awful. Um, but that's the reality of the situation. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Where did you go? Princess Anne? No, Ocean Lakes. Ocean, that's right. You were all the way out there. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Urkel leaves, and then Rachel and Harriet are kind of talking to Laura, like trying to encourage her that she needs to try out for Juliet. Like, this is something she can do, and she should do it. Right. So, while they're talking about that, Carl comes back in. He's dressed in his uh, uniform, ready to go now. Uh, Murtalk has, has paged him because he wants him to go pick up his uniform at the cleaners. And that, that was the big uh, emergency that Murtaugh had right now. Right. Obviously setting up that, that Lieutenant is going to abuse this pager. Yeah. To his sure. heart's desire. And uh, Rachel's already teasing Carl about the whole situation with the pager now. So right. um, we then jump right over to the uh, auditioning for the play, right? Exactly. Um, it's kind of wrapping up. There's like one girl who's um, doing her lines and she's not very good. And then... No, um, not good at all. The... Uh, what's her name? Miss Steuben? Is that, what, is that her name? Miss Steuben, yeah. And she's been a teacher on other in other episodes before. Yeah. So she might be their the like social time. studies teacher or something. I, th I think she was like, yeah, their history teacher as well or something like that. Um, <laughs> so she announces that uh, Daniel Wallace has already been named as Romeo. That's It's a given. He's the best one. He's He's Romeo. But uh, Juliet has not been decided yet. But the uh, final two people that are between are both uh, Maxine and Laura. They're the last. They're, I, it's between those two. I think it's pretty brutal what the teacher does here, where she makes them like go head to head right then and there in front of everybody for this piece. Yeah, I mean, like, I like, like it. The last. I mean, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, so Maxine goes first, but uh, the problem is they're kind of obsessed with this Daniel Wallace guy. They like think right. he's like the cutest boy ever. And when Maxine goes up there to uh, do her lines, she can't even get him out. Like she's not even saying anything that's close to what she's supposed to be saying. So she goes up. No, she just tells she just tells him that he's gorgeous. Yeah, she fails. Um, next up, it's Laura, and uh, she crushes it. She's like perfect. Oh, it does like, great. Yeah. Yep. Um, they even in in the scene with a kiss, and. Uh, 
this freaks out Steve Urkel that um, he like has to yell at them to tell him to cut the scene, break it up. Like uh, he's not liking the fact that Laura's kissing Daniel Wallace. Right. So from here, uh, we go back to the uh, Winslow house. Um, it's date night for Carl and Harriet. Uh, Shazo Josephine's has an all-you-can-eat special going on, which is probably a pretty big deal for that restaurant, I would assume. What do you think they serve at Shea Josephine's? Um, I mean, are you thinking fr- it's French, right? I mean, it sounds French, but that might just be like a play on something. I mean, but I'm you think thinking there's like all-you-can-eat all French buffet? Yeah, for sure. Like like escargot. Oh yeah, everything. The whole okay. All right. I mean, it's that's gotta be that's gotta be expensive. Yeah, I'm thinking probably. I'm I'm going ninety nine a person. I'll, I'll say back then that makes sense. Okay, so um, they're about to leave to go out on this date, and uh, unfortunately, Carl's beeper goes off once again. Carl goes to call uh, Lieutenant Murtaugh to see what the problem is, and then Rachel and Laura come in talking about um, just acting and the play and stuff like that, and. Um, well, well, Rachel is trying to be like an acting inspiration for Laura and is just way overbearing. Yeah. And then Carl comes back and uh, he's taking uh, Lieutenant Murtaugh's dinner order. Like that's that was the whole uh, emergency this time is he needs him to pick him up some dinner. So um, hey, hey, uh, real quick question. What was the name of the, the diner in Saved by the Bell? The Max. Was it just the Max or was it was it Shay Max? No, just the Max. Oh, man. Um, so yeah, so he's taking the order. Harriet's, um, is mad because obviously she's figured out that they're not going out on this dinner date now. And, uh, Carl goes off to, uh, get Murtaugh's stuff and says that, uh, he doesn't think this night can get any worse. But as he says this, he opens the door and it's, uh, Steve Urkel and Carl quickly says that he was wrong. And, uh, (laughs) Steve, um, yeah, he came to tell Laura that, um, Daniel, the uh, guy who's Romeo in the play, has appendicitis. He's not going to be able to perform. And uh, Miss Steuben has elected that uh, Steve Urkel, since he's the only one that knows the lines, will now be Romeo in the play. And we've gotten back into that fun cycle of where the TGIF writers just pick things off the board at the same time, where obviously appendicitis was like, hey, let's do a show that involves appendicitis. Oh, and yeah, step by step, was like, it, we right? got that. Yeah. yeah. And now, and now, full house, our family matters. Like, we can, okay, we can do that too. So, yeah, it, this is where it starts again, which I like. I yeah. Like this. So, Steve's happy. Lore's not happy. Uh, we'll see what happens with the play in a little bit. So, um, then we go to the school. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's playtime now. Uh, playtime. Carl, like, uh, they're, they're they're doing a scene on stage. Laura's up there. Carl is like being like the loudest dad possible, like cheering for Laura. <laughs> he's acting like it's the end of the play and it's all been great, and he's like cheering, standing ovation style. Yep, the whole family's there to see her. Um, and next we have the famous balcony scene where we know that the uh, the kiss is set up. It's going to happen between Laura mm-hmm. and Steve Urkel. Um, so. Right when this is about to happen, though, Carl's beeper goes off once again. Um, you think that he's going to go answer it to talk to Murtaugh, but I think he ends up like just smashing it on the floor, right? And breaking he it. does. He smashes it. And that's really the end of the whole beeper situation. I don't think there's any other follow-up of like what happens as a result of that. Yeah, I don't remember there being. Um, I'm sure we'll find out if I wrote anything down, but I don't think so. So um, the scene begins. Um, Steve comes out on the stage as Romeo. Laura comes out on the balcony. Um, they start acting, and uh, they get up to the point where they're going to kiss. Steve's getting ready for the kiss. Laura leans in, 
and surprisingly actually gives him a little peck, and uh, Steve freaks out. Like, this is the best thing ever. It finally has happened. Steve has kissed Laura Winslow, and uh, he's freaking out so much, he ends up knocking over the entire set, like every prop, everything. I'm surprised that they didn't fall off the balcony at this point. But, this um, set, first of all, this set was really cool because like there's there was that branch, there's like a branch on a tree that Steve could walk up to get to the balcony. Uh-huh. There was a lot of cool parts of it, but the way that this whole like domino effect was set up was a really really fun little little part of the scene. How how did this set compare to the Ocean Lakes uh, performance of Romeo? And so this is one of the funny things about there are a lot of funny things about that that production, but the the. The drama teacher who was directing it wanted it to be this like post-apocalyptic Romeo and Juliet. And he had these like, he loved doing set design. That was like something he was really passionate about. So he had these like super elaborate like turntable sets. There was like three sections of them on the stage and they were really like complicated um, as far as like building them. And then kind of a lot of stuff going on to change scenes in between in between scenes. This is an important question um, I have for you that's going to answer probably a lot of my questions in my head. Sure. Did this did your performance Romeo and Juliet happen after the like movie came out with Leo and Claire Danes? It so it's funny. It actually started before it was like during the that time because I remember we as a group went to see the movie. Uh-huh. Um actually no, the movie did come out before because that's why I auditioned was I really liked the I, I wanted to be the chorus in the scene, which is basically just the one person at the very beginning who sets up this, the play. And then at the very end, like brings the, the play down. So and I don't know if you remember from the movie, but it was essentially that newscaster at the very beginning yeah. that, that gives a spiel. And at the end, it's the cop who does like the last, the last lines of the play. Uh, that's what I wanted. And I don't, you were just so good I, when you auditioned for that. They're like, Travis must be Romeo. No way. That's what actually, I, I mean, mean it has to be right. Or no one tried out was, for Romeo. One or the other. No, people were pissed that I got it, um, <laughs> which I can understand. I, I think it was an elaborate joke, and I'm not quite sure who benefited from it. So, uh, yeah, uh, Steve. After knocking over the whole set, of course, uh, we get. A, did I do that? And then we go to a scene where uh, the play is now over. Uh, Miss Steuben is just crying over this broken set, and uh, Steve Urkel apologizes to her. And uh, we find out that she has decided to retire from teaching theater. She is done with it. She's going to go teach home ec instead, which she confirms that Steve Urkel is not taking next semester. Which we'll have to see if that's true or not. Yeah, I either he's already taken home ec cause, or he does take it next semester. Because I can picture in my head like Steve Urkel in an apron cooking something at school for some reason. I know what the internet told me when I was researching okay. this episode. Okay, but We'll find out what happens. All right, so um, while this is all going on, Laura comes out. Um, she asks if Steve is okay, and Steve um, says he feels like a jerk. He uh, he ruined the play, and he feels he feels like he's always messing things up, especially whenever Laura's around, and uh, mm-hmm. he just feels bad about everything. Yeah, and he also feels bad, too, because this was their first kiss, which was important to him, and he feels like he messed that up as well, which I don't know if Laura really cares as much about, but it is important. But Steve Urkel, he says that he's been looking forward to that moment his entire life. His entire life. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah, Laura makes him feel better. She says a few things, and uh, she tells Steve, um, why don't you come with me? We'll go over to the the after show cast party, and... um, he asks her why he wants that she wants him to go with her. And she um, says, well, um, she likes the time that they have. Like uh, she does enjoy his company. And uh, 
I wrote love question mark no pity I don't know what I meant there because the, uh, she basically she's like I don't know if I love you I, I, she, he's like are you doing this because you love me she's like I don't know if it's because I love you or more really because I, I pity you but she says it in a kind of a nicer softer way and then I wrote but the sense of pity the the seas of pity can blossom in oh the seeds that's what it was but the, that is the, uh, the seeds of pity can, the blossom, seeds of pity into can blossom into love and then that that's kind of okay. like the closing line from Urkel to uh to end the whole episode that's it yeah pretty good episode not the best pretty solid family matters yeah yeah um so then we go to 8 30 it's now uh step by step this yeah. is episode oh, three step. great great song um I can't get it man it's so good so rule, good. Rules of the House is the name of this episode. Um, it starts off, we've got a, a little scene before the opening credits with uh, JT, Brendan, and Al. They're all uh, sitting in like the den, eating some chips and guacamole that they found in the fridge. Uh, Dana walks in. She's like, what are you guys doing? That's not guacamole. <laughs> That's Carol's uh, facial mask. And uh, they all just run out of the room in disgust, trying to spit out whatever they have in their mouth. And then Dana sits down, grabs a chip, dips it in the guacamole, and says, sometimes it's just too easy. Takes a bite, and then that's your opening scene. Dana's great. Yeah. She's my favorite so far. She's good. I I don't know if I have a favorite so far. Everyone brings something right now, except for maybe You're uh, right. Brendan. You're 100%. But... <laughs> no, Brendan's got his Brendan's got his niche. It's very it's very small, but it, it's important. I, I I agree with you though. They're all they're all key key elements of the of the equation. So uh, after the theme song, we come back to uh, Carol and her side of the family. They're at the dinner table, and they are all waiting for Frank and his side of the family because it's uh, time for dinner, and um, they were supposed to be there, and I guess they're like almost an hour late at this point. And eventually, they're a half hour late. Half it's supposed to start late. at 6.30, yeah, okay. and it's, it's uh, Close to almost seven, seven, right? Yep. So um, they come in. Frank doesn't see the problem. He doesn't see why anyone's mad, but uh, Carol's upset, obviously. And uh, we also find out that uh, they all already ate. They grabbed like burgers and fries on the way home. And right. Carol asks, um, I mean, she wants everyone to sit down for this family dinner. It's a big thing on her side of the family. And she wants them to join them for this uh, tradition that they have. It is. And it's also very, it's like part of her schedule. Like this is what she said. It's going to start at 630. Her expectation is that they are there at 630. Yep, and uh, while they're having this conversation about this dinner, uh, Brendan reminds Frank that uh, the game's on, so then like the whole side of the family runs out. They go in the living room with their food, and uh, they go out to watch the game in the living room right after this conversation happens with Carol. Yeah, basically like what she just said doesn't... Well, not basically, but what she said just doesn't matter at all. Yep. Um, so now we are at uh, nighttime. I think we're in the bed, right? And... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I have started writing in my notes, creepy Frank, anytime he does anything creepy like that. I'm just calling him creepy Frank. <laughs> well, Carol's so they're in the bed and Carol is like making this rules chart. And yeah. Frank just starts to try to like get her. To yeah. I'm, yes. He's putting the moves on her. She has, wants nothing to do with it because she is trying to figure out how to get these rules of the house done. And uh, Frank kind of mentions that he doesn't like the idea of all these rules in the house. And uh, she explains that kids need structure. Um and she starts like telling them some of the rules, and then she's like, "Well, there is one rule you might like, rule number 11. And uh, he's like, "Well, what's that?" And she's like, "Lights out at 10." And then she turns, <laughs> I think she like turns off the lights and like starts snuggling with him. And he's like, "Oh, I like that rule." And then uh, that's yeah. kind of the end of that scene. And just so we're clear, she is making a chart of rules, but they're trying to set up too that she's a little bit overboard because her rules have like 
sub rules and sub charts and multiple sub charts that are just kind of like come down. And on the and like you said, on the other side, Frank has, say, has told her that the only rule that he has is not to operate a chainsaw after taking a cold pill. So it makes sense. Yeah. After this, we go to a scene with uh, Penny and Ivy, right? I have those right. Good job. Yeah. I had to, I, I'm struggling with these two. Like their names, every time they come in, I'm like, what's that? who's who's what again? They're, they know that this family meeting is going to happen with uh, Carol and the family, and they're concerned. They don't know what it's about. They kind of want to listen in on it and see what's going on. And Well, Penny thinks it's about her. Yeah. She's concerned that like they're going to kick her out of the house or something. I don't know. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, basically. Dana comes in to the salon or the kitchen, wherever Penny and Ivy are at this time. Kitchen. And she's looking for uh, Carol's pointer so she can uh, conduct this meeting. And right. uh, she also tells them that the uh, meeting is about house rules, which kind of eases her a little bit, I guess. And then we go into this meeting that Carol's going to have with the family. Yep. Yeah. And basically, Dana's like, the Lamberts are just don't get it. So she starts going over like the laundry ro- routine and like uh, how everyone has like separate hampers and teams and all this crazy stuff and just general house rules. And then uh, it ends up just like becoming a fight. Like the Lamberts and man, what, what is I, you're better at the last names than I am already. It's Frank Lambert. It's the Fosters and the Lamberts. So Foster. basically what happens is Al calls Mark boring and Mark's like, I know. And Dana's like. <laughs> Stand, Don't call my brother boring, for, right? Right, stands up for him, and then uh, and then like the kids just start fighting, and everybody leaves. Well, before that, um, before everyone leaves, Carol gives out these TV watching tickets too. Um, oh, that's right. Each that's ticket right. is worth a half hour of time to watch TV, and if you, I think everyone gets eight tickets or twelve tickets, I think it's twelve. Twelve tickets. tickets. Everybody six gets hours six hours a week, and, and that includes the adults too. Yeah. And there's also an incentive, though, if you don't use all your tickets, you can cash them in at the end of the week for $2 per ticket towards your allowance, which is pretty was good it, I think it was $2 per every, like, five tickets. I wrote $2 per leftover ticket is what I wrote down. Was it? Maybe, maybe that's it. I thought it was, you know what, I thought it was $1 for every two tickets, but doesn't matter. Doesn't Whatever. Really there's matter. a cash incentive. Yep. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Alcohol's uh, Mark Boring. Fights happen again. And then Frank and the kids just leave. They're done with these rules. And then um, someone says, oh, these rules are a disaster. And Dana says, well, this marriage is a disaster. And that's kind of where right. we end this meeting. Um, we then go to JT in the kitchen. Frank wants to talk to him. And then for some reason, this is a scene that's been stuck in my head for the last 30 years. Uh, we get the, uh, the famous first time this happens of JT's way to make chocolate milk. Oh, okay. So this did stick out to me. And I was like, I was like in my brain, I was like, is this a th- thing that happens a lot in this show because it so. seems like I remember it as though it is. And I feel like it was also a thing like uh, the next day at school people were doing. Like, uh, so oh, I mean, really? JT's way to make chocolate milk is he uh, takes the, cho- the the squeeze bottle of Nes- Nestle chocolate sauce or whatever he has, squeezes it in his mouth, takes the uh, gallon of milk, takes a swig of that, and then just like shakes his head real fast and drinks it. So that's his chocolate milk. I don't know why it's stuck in my head, but I remember it. Because it seems ingenious, even though I'm not even quite sure how effective it is. You haven't tried it yet? No. Oh, I immediately did it after watching the episode. Does it work? Is it good? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so Frank really wants JT to go with these rules. He thinks that if uh, JT does it, the rest of the kids will follow. And uh, he actually promises him that if he goes along with these rules, he'll get him those high tops he was promising him, which... JT quickly figures out what you're already promising me these high tops. So now you're promising me to give me the high tops. You're already promising me if I do this. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. And he's like, all right, whatever. I'll do it. 
this, yeah, this is a dad move. I feel like this is something that we're probably both going to experience later in our in our children's lives. Yeah. So we go to um, a little quick scene where JT is already um, making sure that everyone's following the rules. He's actually timing Karen in the bathroom, who um, he makes get out of there, and she listens to him and uh, gets out with like her facial mask still on or whatever's still on. Just a quick scene yep. showing that JT is uh, going with these rules already. And I think the intent here is to show that he's like over being overbearing in the rules. He's like following to the T very specifically. Yeah, at least with Carol's side of the family, right? We don't know what he's sure. uh, doing with his side. But uh, we go to a scene now. Um, Al is in her bedroom. Are all three of the girls sharing this bedroom? Yeah, that's what it looks like. So yeah. she's in there. Um, she's talking about like breaking rules and stuff. Uh, she, I think she goes and tries to watch the TV without a ticket. Dana turns it well, off. Well, no, what happens, so she she comes in, she throws her jacket kind of on the dresser that doesn't really look like her dresser, and, and Karen and Dana are both like, are you going to hang that up? And she's like, no. And then she goes and grabs the TV, pulls it in the middle of the room, pulls her chair into the middle of the room, and starts watching, uh, I think, a baseball game while Dana and Karen are both doing homework. And oh, yeah, because like, it's supposed to be studying time, right? It's study time. It's not TV time. And she's like, I don't care. I'm watching the game. Um, I think Dana tells Al that she needs an attitude adjustment, which then uh, sets off Al. She stands up. She um, says that she hates everything about this house and just starts throwing stuff. Like she's picking up just books off the shelf. Knocking everything them. off the shelves. Yeah. And Dana tells her that if she's going to live here, she's got to follow the rules. And Al says, well, I won't live here then. And she go- reaches under the bed, pulls out her suitcase, puts it on the bed and starts packing. She is getting out of this house. She's she's doing she's pulling the the full house kids move where whenever whenever something happens they're like I'm out I'm leaving. Um. So then we go to I think Frank in the kitchen or living room here. Yeah. He's so the, the basically Frank first, runs right? in. Well, he he runs in and he's like, I gotta go watch the World Series. It's, yep. uh, yeah. It's the bottom of the ninth. There's two outs and I got I gotta turn on the TV. Yep. He has already spent all of his tickets though. He does not have a ticket to watch the rest of this game. And he tries to ask all the kids for tickets. They don't have them or don't have them with them. And uh, he ve- eventually runs into Mark, who does have tickets. I would left say over. that they have them, but they don't want to give it. Like he tries to go from Brendan, and Brendan's like, "No, I'm saving it so I can watch Dumbo." Karen's like, "I can't." F- I think Karen is the one who couldn't find it, and then he goes to Mark. Yeah, and Mark, uh, since I mean he's a smart kid, he knows that uh, he can cash these tickets in for money. So he negotiates with Frank and eventually sells him a ticket for five dollars. Seems like a deal. Yeah. Um, Frank eventually gets the ticket, turns on the TV, and uh, the announcers in the baseball game say it's the greatest play ever in 50 (laughs) years, uh, a triple play to end the World Series, and Frank missed the entire thing. This is pre-instant replay, obviously, and uh, he did not get to see what happened. I mean, there had to have been instant replay back then where, or not even instant, but at the end of the game, they're going to probably do a recap and show this play, right? Yeah, I don't remember how quick they could do it. It was probably at some point. Or he could, I mean, you, you think that uh, Carol would let him split up that time? Like, all right, I get 30 minutes of this ticket. I'm going to watch five <laughs> minutes of it for this, and then I'm going to turn Sports Center on at 11 and watch the replay. Seems like a slippery slope. Yeah, I don't Seems know like how it's it works. Like once, you, once you turn the TV on, you got 30 minutes, and then you're done. Yeah, it's tough. Um, so... Frank asks to see Carol in the kitchen at this point. He's mad, obviously, mad he's about mad. these he's tickets, mad, mad, mad. mad that he missed the game. Um, and he tells Carol that he does not like these rules. Um, he actually kind of starts attacking Carol, too, it seems like at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, he's upset. and He's saying things he probably will regret. But she brings up about how, well, you know, JT is following the rules. So so what, what's the problem? 
Yeah, and that's where he accidentally, like we've seen him do in the first couple episodes, accidentally says that he bribed JT, which uh, does not sit very well with Carol at this point either. No, not at all. So Dana comes in and uh, tells them, uh, Frank, you might want to go check on Al because uh, she's moving out. She's on the she's on the porch. <laughs> Taxi's she's, coming. She's already called the cab, yeah. You might want to get out there. So um, Frank says, all right, I'll go talk to her. But instead, Carol steps up. She says, you know what? I'm going to go do it. I'm going to go talk to Al. And then uh, as uh, after Carol leaves out of the room, uh, Dana starts teasing uh, Frank for uh, missing the end of the World Series, which is pretty funny. I know I've said this before, but it is so difficult for me to not not peg Dana in this character, but to go back and think of her character on Going Places mm-hmm. and like try to figure out how old she was oh, or yeah, like, yeah. like where she fit in that world because i totally see her as the you know the young teenager that she is in this show but it's such a contrast to kind of how her character was in the other show that i it's so hard to, to i like, mean i put her in like that like 13 to 16 year old range in both of them i think i think that's the intent but i feel like her character doesn't play that age in going places i feel yeah. like her character i mean she's really a independent she kind of comes and goes as she pleases she's watching horror movies till late at night like yeah i don't know with, with non-family members i don't know it just seems that character just seems and so i think a lot of it too is like um just the type of like family she lived in in both places like she's got like the la family uh yeah. going places she's probably much more independent like i don't i don't know i i'm okay with it so okay. um carol gets out on the porch to talk to al and uh al says i'm moving to grandma's house um in milwaukee it's an old folks trailer park um they've got lots of fun activities like shuffleboard and bingo and it's gonna be bingo. awesome and then uh al kind of starts crying right there and carol tries to uh console her and tell her that um it's gonna be okay we're gonna make it work and al's just like she just doesn't feel like she belongs here like she doesn't fit in with the family yeah because she's having trouble with the rules and carol starts to kind of break her down and say look i know i went over the edge how do we how do we kind of find a middle ground here yeah, and I was like, well, I'm okay with some of the rules, just not the dumb ones. And she does offer uh, Carol to help her kind of like maybe lessen some of these rules a little bit. Well, right, because Carol says, well, how am I going to know which one are the which ones are the dumb ones? And Al, and she's trying to draw Al in here. And I was like, I can I can help you. You know, I, I can I can tell you within a minute what the dumb ones are. So uh, that kind of ends that scene. We then go um, back to the dinner table. Uh, once again, Carol and her side of the family are all sitting there ready to go. Um, Frank's family's nowhere to be seen and Dana and Mark start counting down the seconds till 630 and somehow Frank and his family make it just in time to sit down at the table all from different directions doing different things come in at the very last second to sit down yep so they're all there they're finally together at the table at 630 and then Mark starts talking about the uh, space shuttle landing being on TV it's actually uh, Al that brings it up I'll ask if they can go watch dinner uh then go watch the space shuttle landing and watch dinner in front of the TV. Okay. Well, I don't know why, right? Mark. I don't know. Um, so Carol, agrees. you know, maybe what happened is Mark brought it up and then Al was like, can we go watch it on the TV? And okay. I, didn't just, I just didn't put the first part, but Al is the one that suggests that they go watch it in front of the TV. So Carol agrees. Everyone can go watch. Um, the family runs out. Um, Frank and well, creepy Frank stops Carol and tells her, you know what? When you break a rule, uh, that really turns me on. And then they start making out, and then that's the end of the episode. Frank. And it's getting it whenever he can. Good for him, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, know. what, they've been married for 
three weeks now, or is it probably a little Almost longer? Almost a month, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we then go to Perfect Strangers. This is the uh, 9 p.m. show for this week. The name of the episode is This New House. So we've now had a bachelor party, a wedding, and moving into a new house in three weeks on Perfect Strangers in one season. They're fl- they're like, we got to get this in. We don't know how much longer we can we can push this show. <laughs> this might be the last season. So um, yeah. after the theme song, we've got uh, Balky and Marianne. They're um, sitting on the couch in uh, Balky and Larry's apartment, making out, or at least trying to start making out. Balky's trying to put some moves on Marianne, it looks like. And uh, she's uh, thinking about Larry and Jennifer, like, in their new place. They she know they mentioned for the first time they've got this new apartment, and uh, she's just thinking about what they might be doing. And um, Marianne tries to uh, start putting moves on Balky, right? Yeah, she wants to. She wants to do some some uh, making out, and Balky is like, "Let's go make some shadow animals instead." Yeah, right? we can do shadow animals now that we've got this whole place to ourselves. So um, she he gets up to start doing shadow animals. She calls him back over, and they start making out on the couch. And as they're doing this, uh, Jennifer and Larry come in, and uh, Larry we find out forgot to put the deposit down on this new apartment that Jennifer's thinks is the perfect apartment. And uh, they have now lost this apartment. And this is all going on uh, while Balky and Marianne are still kissing in the background. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know that Marianne and, and Balky aren't, I mean, this whole, we've talked that their relationships are kind of weird, but it would seem like it would just make sense that they would just switch apartments. Like yeah. <laughs> one of the guys would move upstairs. One of the women would move downstairs. Yeah. There's two rooms in both apartments. Like make it easy. Don't have to worry about breaking leases. And you wouldn't have to leave Balky paying rent solo and Marianne paying rent solo, but I don't know. I mean, I thought that's where this episode was going to end, but uh, we find out it does not. Um, so we go to a scene where uh, Jennifer and Larry are now looking at this house. And did the set look familiar to you? Did you look that up? Man, like, I really wanted to... I, I was very tempted to go back and see if it was the set from when they did the Chandelier places? episode. Oh, okay. Well, but Going Places was my second thought. Is it is the... But, there's that big fireplace in this set, and I don't remember a fireplace. It doesn't make sense there would be a fireplace yeah. in a house in California on the beach. So I but, was thinking either going places or that one with like the three boys and the dad. What was that show? We saw one pilot episode for. I feel like there's a ton of them with three boys and a dad. Uh, <laughs> Dad's a dog. Uh, Dad's a dog. The one where he moves. He's like he's the actor on the TV show. He's voicing the dog, and and they move from New York. Yeah, New York kids. Yeah, that sounds right. I th- that I think he had a bigger, like a big, like portrait window behind him, though. And uh, and that. But one. I mean, they could change out a wall too, right? They could, and they could add a the fireplace. fireplace. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it could sure. be all. It could be all the above. But anyways, I, um, I'm surprised. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we really dug in if we found that that house somewhere else. Yeah. So um, yeah, Jennifer and Larry Ann are here at this new house. Balky's there too for who knows what reason, and. Uh, Jennifer goes off with the uh, the real estate agent or whatever, the landlord, and Larry and Balky are left uh, talking in the living room about this house and uh, how there's no way that Larry could uh, could ever afford this place. Right. Exactly. But, of course, Larry has a plan. Uh, the plan is to make Jennifer think, or Marianne, right? Jennifer. No, Jennifer. Jennifer. Make, make Jennifer think that he would do anything so they could live there. And she, what she's going to do, he knows that she's just going to say, oh, you're the greatest that you would do anything, but it's too much. I'm not going to make you do that. I don't want you to have to suffer. And it's going to make her love him even more. That's the plan. This plan, this plan sounds like an awful idea. Yep. Um, so Jennifer comes downstairs. Um, 
it seems like it's working because she says uh, she loves it, but there's no way that they can afford it. And Larry's like winking over to Balky at this point, And Larry says, oh, don't worry. I will sacrifice. I will uh, take extra shifts and do an extra job. I'll do whatever it takes. And Jennifer's like, uh, we can't do it. I love it, but I we can't do it. And then this is where we have the problem. Balky decides. So for as bad of an idea as I, this sounds, it, it is was going to work. <laughs> perfectly it's i mean it is larry's idea is working exactly as he anticipated yeah it would have worked except for balky balky steps in he thinks that he's now part of this plan and starts telling jennifer that you can you guys can do this if you want to do it you guys can have this house and actually convinces jennifer that who then agrees that they will sacrifice they will do whatever they take what it takes and they want to buy this or rent this house right I, I don't think Balky thinks he's part of the plan. I just think Balky is like going rogue here and is like, no, if you really want it, you can get it. There, don't let it hold you back. Oh, so I, yeah, I thought like that Balky um, thought that he was helping out the situation. Like he thought that maybe I can help convince her. No, see, I took it as though he kind of just was 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 going along with Jennifer's passion for the house and totally oblivious to actually how the plan was supposed to work and was like, you can, we definitely let's do this. You can do this. Okay. Um, so we then go where we know is now one week later, Jennifer and Larry are in this new house. They've been there for, I guess, a week and, uh, they're sitting on cardboard boxes, eating leftover plain food from coach. Um, from coach. Yeah. Uh, she, I don't even know what he's eating at this point. It just looks disgusting. Probably like some cold mashed potatoes and like already overcooked piece of meat. Yeah, it looks like maybe someone like carrots and peas in there and she like dumps out a bag of peanuts on there as well. Yeah. And uh, they are definitely suffering. We can tell that. And it's not even like they've paid the next month's rent yet. They're not they've only been there for one week and they're already suffering. Larry Larry won't even let Jennifer turn up the heat. She goes to turn it up because it's cold and he's like, No. No, uh, not gonna do it. We found out that they've sold all of their wedding gifts to make this happen. Um yeah, they can't turn on anything. They uh, they had to sell the wedding gifts, not even for the rent, just so they could turn on the electricity so they have that going. And right. uh, Larry, and uh, he's definitely stressed out. Like, he says that to Jennifer. And uh, they argue about the house for a little bit here. Balky comes over and uh, tells them that he loves what they've done with the place. Like He's like, oh, this minimalist uh, setup that you guys have is so beautiful. And... Uh, <laughs> He's actually brought them a nice little uh, housewarming gift as well. He has some ferret juice. Ferret juice, which he says you just got to skim the hair off of the top. Skim the hair off. And uh, Larry complains that they can't afford anything, and he blames Balky, who rightfully is to blame probably for this whole entire thing. You, you know, normally I would say that Larry's plans are always a bad idea, and of course they're not going to work, but this one was this one was working until Balky stepped in. So in the rare instance, I'm going to agree with you and say that this is really Balky's fault. So Jennifer comes back in. She says they have to move. They can't afford it. And he says they can't break the lease. There's no way the landlord's going to let them do it. And she insists that they have to. And Balky says, well, why don't you guys just go to the landlord, tell him the truth, he'll let you out of it. And Jennifer tells Balky, um, she has a plan. So she has, this, uh, Larry has rubbed off on her. She is now uh, going to initiate her own plan to try to get out of this lease. Well, what's important here is that Larry is like, yes, I will do that. I'm going to go and be honest with the landlord and, and see what happens. And he leaves. And that is when Jennifer says, I've got a plan. I'm going to take care. Yeah, like, I mean, the two of them have pretty the much switched Pulls roles, it seems like. Right, right, He's right. doing what Jennifer would have done in the past. Jennifer's doing what he would have done. 
And yes. uh, that's where we go now. Um, back to the old apartment. Uh, Jennifer and Balky are there. And uh, the plan is Jennifer wants to call the landlord and he she wants Balky to help her pretend that they are people that want to rent out this house and pay him more money to do it. Makes sense. We've had this situation before where Larry's done like this exact same thing, like uh, call and pretend to be somebody to and say that they would offer more money or something. I can't remember what episode I, it was, but you're right. I can't remember either, but you're you're right. This is this is more or less happened before. So um, yeah, uh, Jennifer has to kind of make Balky feel bad at this point, so he'll jump in and be part of it, which she does. It works. They call the landlord. And uh, the first person that Balky can pretend to be or that he thinks is a good idea to pretend to be, to be is uh, Robin Leach, the richest man he can think of. <laughs> when he does it, and he, so he starts impersonating him, and it's a good impersonation. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the audience applause I made note of here, too, was, like, huge. Like, they loved it. Oh, I didn't it. notice. Was it this, yeah, it's a big one. And, I mean, it's an extended, like, impersonation. It's not like he's, like, one-lining a line from Robin Leach. He, like has an entire conversation with uh, the man that we yeah. can't hear on the other side of the phone, just like talking like Robin Leach and eventually offering him, I think triple the amount of money to uh, rent out the house. <sighs> Is that where they ended? Was it triple? Yeah, triple. Cause I know it was, I know he like built, he's like a hundred dollars more, I'll double it, I'll triple it. Yeah. So eventually it's triple and that kind of ends up the scene. Um, then uh, Larry runs into the apartment and Larry tells Balky that uh, the craziest thing happened. I actually got it to work. Like, I went and I talked to the landlord, and you know what happened? Someone actually called, and it was Robin Leach. He called because he wanted to rent out the exact apartment. And Larry tells Balky that he was uh, just about to get out of the lease, but instead, he came up with the greatest idea ever. He saw— Now, this is when this is when Larry is pulling a Larry, right? Here. Yep. He saw uh, the landlord write down Robin Leach's number, put it on the desk. So what Larry did, because he's so smart— is he copied down Robin Leach's number, and he's actually going to rent it to Robin Leach directly for cheaper than he would have rented it from the landlord and still make 200% profit, and it'll be the perfect plan. This was not the perfect plan. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. Um, so we go to a scene with uh, Larry talking to Jennifer. Um well, well, Balky tells him right here that he is Robin Leach, and that's just not going to oh, happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So he's like, yeah. oh, oh, no, I, I messed up pretty much. Right. My so, greed got the best of me again. So we don't really see how like how it all falls into place, but we kind of know that it's not going to work out. Oh, because doesn't right. he call the number and it's a pizza place or something? Yeah, it is a pizza place. And I think it's the name of the – so I probably should have just looked this up, but I think it's the name of the pizza place that's actually downstairs – in the apartment like when they show the exterior from the apartment there's a pizza place under it oh, okay. i think it was the same name so we go to the final scene i think of this episode with uh larry talking mm -hmm. to jennifer well no? second to final scene okay um they made a plan um they're gonna rent out uh the room that they are the one of the extra rooms that they have because uh they feel like it's a good that's idea the to help out the money yeah and uh that's both, the only way they can afford it yeah we find out both larry and jennifer found roommates because i guess there's two extra rooms right no, I think there was one extra room. But they but both rented out to the same to people. And they not, were both not trying them. to do it to help each other relieve the relieve the stress from the other person. Yep. So they didn't know the other person was doing it. Yep. In walks Balky. In walks Marianne. Um, they both rented them out to. Uh, well, I guess Larry rented it to Mar to Marianne and to Marianne. and Jennifer rented it out to Balky. And now we find out that all four of them are going to be living in this house. Yep. And Balky is making some pig snout marinated and orange Kool Aid for everybody to celebrate. 
Yeah, uh, I wrote down Jennifer and Larry are not happy about the whole situation. I don't know if that's true or not. No, no, I don't think that's true. I think that they were just so when they so when they first come in, they don't know who the people are that the other person has rented to, and Larry's like, "I've rented it," and Jennifer's like, "I've rented it," and so they're kind of like, "Whoa, what are we gonna do?" Then they find out it's Balky and Marianne, and I think that they're totally fine with it being the group of the four of them living in the same house together. So then we go to the final scene. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the final scene ever at the old apartment, I would assume. Um, so we're back at the old Seems apartment. Like um, Balky and Larry are getting the last things of this now like iconic empty apartment that we've had pretty much the entire show that was took took place in. And yeah. uh, they say they're going to miss the place. There's a lot, There were lots of good times here. And then that's the end of the episode. We're done with that apartment. This could have been a series finale. Like it that could have been. been the last shot of, of perfect strangers, them walking out of the apartment to go all live in the same house together for the next part of their lives. Yeah. I mean, you're right. There's no reason they couldn't have ended it there. I don't know how I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I mean, obviously they've moved. Would before, have been a better so. ending than Dexter. <laughs> People hate Dexter ending. I don't, I don't really, so I didn't really hate it that much. So um, but they, I, we didn't see the first move, right? We never saw the move from the original apartment above the Ritz to the apartment they yeah. lived in now. But I think we're so ingrained with this apartment that it's like such an emotional thing to see them move into this house. And I'm really curious how that dynamic is going to work in the in the new house. If it's something that like is, makes a difference or makes a big deal or if it's something we're not even going to notice, really. What do we get? Eight seasons of Perfect Street? There's one more season after this yeah, season. So probably not yeah. that well. We'll see. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that moving to the house is what caused them to be canceled. Might have. All right. Might so... Have. 9.30, Baby Talk, uh, Season 2, Episode 2. The name of the episode, I think, is just Security. That's what I wrote down. So I want to uh, say one thing before we get started. Okay. Is that you were right. I was wrong. It is Danielle, not Daniela. Uh, fun. That's it. You were right. I was wrong. Um, so we do get a scene before the theme song again with, like, babies talking. They're just playing with some toys. and uh, it's, Mickey, it's Mickey and Danielle. Mickey and Danielle. Uh, Danielle, like, puts a hammer in her mouth, like a toy hammer, and, like, I don't know. It's really dumb. <laughs> Mickey's like, where do these go? And then she starts chewing on it. And he's like, oh, they fit perfectly there. And they yeah. both start chewing on these plastic toys. All right. So after the theme song, we come back to uh, Maggie, Mickey, Anita, and Danielle. They're all back from, I don't know, like the playground or a walk or something outside. Wherever. And uh, Anita screams after, as she goes into her apartment. Um, someone has broken into it. There's stuff everywhere. And uh, that's going to set up what this whole entire episode is about. It is. Yep. So we then go to Maggie's apartment. This is, I don't know, later in the day, later in the week, um, probably later in the day. Um, there's a security salesman there, and he is trying to sell them um, this, like, top-of-the-line security system. And uh, Anita and James are in there as well as the security guy is talking to uh, Maggie. And they don't think that she needs as much as she's trying to get. And... Uh, they don't mention the price immediately, but just the guy just keeps saying that, like, oh, it's not safe. You need this, and uh, you can't live like this. These windows aren't safe, and people break into houses all the time. Like, oh, there's another break-in, like that kind of thing. And uh, he's just pushy, keeps going for it. James is telling her, no, don't do it. And we eventually find out uh, $1,740 is the price, which everyone thinks is outrageous, except for Maggie, who's like, oh, we got to do this. Yeah. there's a, I mean, so first of all, Alarm salespeople are really pushy. Yeah. Second of all, uh, it's kind of reminiscent. I think that we've seen this happen before, especially on you know the the Perfect Strangers episode comes to mind where they get all the security stuff. 
the guy who played, we haven't done this in a while. The guy who plays the salesman was actually, do you remember the episode of Going Places where the mobster comes in? They like have the mobster in their house yeah, and they're yeah. giving him dinner. So he was the mobster. He was the Iceman oh, from okay. Going Places. Um, James is trying to offer all kinds of other alternatives. He's like, look, here's a recording of a dog I can give you that scares people away. Here's a $2 sticker you can slap on your front door and this will all be solved. And what really puts Maggie over the edge is that the salesman goes in uh, Mickey's room and says, look, the biggest safety concern in this whole apartment is the fact that the fire escape is at your kid's window. And that's the number one place where uh, robbers are going to come into your house, which honestly, it makes a lot of sense. Like yeah, that, sure. that is, is the most reasonable thing I think he says out of anything else. Yeah. I mean, I uh, had a friend who had their house broken into from a fire escape. True story. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. Um, so yeah, she's on board. She's getting, she's going to get the security system. Um, so we then go to bedtime. Uh, I guess they also said that like, he can't do it that day too. Like it's going to take like a day or something. Well, that's one of the funny, so that's kind of how it ends is the salesman is like, one of the biggest things to know is that the, that the robbers will come back normally will come back in the same night to, to strike. And so that instills fear in Maggie, Maggie signs a contract. And then he's like, we'll see you tomorrow. And she's like, what? You just told me that they're going to come back tonight. He's like, it's too dangerous. Our people don't work in this neighborhood at night. So at bedtime, uh, Maggie's telling Mickey not to worry. Um, Just one more night without the security system. All we have to do is get through this one night. Everything will be fine. Um, She goes and locks up all the doors um, and then goes, sits on the couch and starts doing some work and eventually falls asleep while she's working. And I thought it was important here, too that the window is open behind her this whole time. Did you make any note of that? I didn't, but that is odd given the fact that she's worried about getting robbed. Yeah. And the entire like episode almost, she's sitting here with this window open. I'm like, all right. In fairness, I mean, that window is just a window out to nothing. Uh, So I guess the fire escape doesn't come all the way over there. No, I don't think so. I think the fire escape is just on Mickey's window, but the, the guy did recommend she get bars for that window anyway. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure what's going on there. It's a good, it's a valid point though. You're right. Um, so yeah, later James wakes her up as she's passed out on the couch. Um, he's knocking on the door and, uh, he's just doing his rounds, making sure that everything's okay. And really he's just making sure that she's okay, that she's safe, that, um, she's going to make it through the night. And, uh, she kind of tells him that she's not afraid. And, uh, she thinks that, uh, this alarm system makes a lot of sense. And she tells him he can just go away. I don't know if this makes sense. I don't remember this happening, but I wrote this down. <laughs> um, and then she locks back up and she hears a crash. And now she's right. frightened. She thinks some someone's in the house. Something's going on. She goes and checks out um, what the noise was, gets scared again, checks on Mickey. And uh, she just needs someone to talk to. So she calls her mom at this point and just starts asking her for like her vegetable soup recipe. So she's got just to have someone to talk to. Yeah. Yeah, She just wants somebody on the phone to talk to. Yeah. She's freaking out. Um, and her mom thinks that she's pregnant again. Like that's her first response. (laughs) Um, but she can tell something's wrong. She can tell that she's not called because she says, you don't even like my vegetable soup. Why would you want the recipe? And her mom can just tell that something is wrong. And so she is trying to get that out of her of what's actually going on. Yep. Um, I think uh, one of them tells the other one good night. They hang up the phone. Maggie goes and picks up Mickey from the uh, little playpen and says that they're going to go to sleep. Um, while she has him in her arms, uh, the phone rings. And I guess it's like one o'clock in the morning at this point, too. And it seems uh, like it. she thinks that it's uh, someone trying to find out if she's alone. And she freaks out 
and then eventually because well, there's no one else on the phone she picks it up and like no one there's no there's no other person on the on the other end of the phone um she calls james tells him to come upstairs she needs to talk to him and uh james comes up and calls her out for being afraid and uh she says well she just wants uh well i think he says like or do you just want me to be there with you kind of like kind of hitting on her but kind of like talking about this whole fear thing at the same time and, I think uh, it's very tongue in cheek. I think the hitting on her is very like him being kind of a just make like making fun of the situation. I, I think he knows that she's really just scared and wants wants some company. Yeah, and she admits to him she's scared, and uh, they go downstairs, the three of them, to get uh, James's keyboard because, of course, he needs to be working on his music while he's uh, up there, I guess. And uh, well, he was working on his music beforehand, so he she interrupted that, and he just wants to bring it up there so he can keep working on a new song. Yep. And then we see this is the first time we've seen James's apartment, right? So I feel like we saw it before when when he was babysitting Mickey in like the first or second episode. I think what she says is the first time she's been in his apartment. Okay. Well, I don't remember it set up the way that it was. Like there's like trophies out, and like he's got like his whole little like music studio corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they get startled by the dog bark box that he uh, tried to pitch <laughs> off to her earlier, and uh, we find out that he used to be a boxer too. I don't know if we knew that at this point. Like he's got I, boxing I don't think we trophies, did. so. He used to do that when he was in school or something. They uh, they grab his keyboard and then they go back upstairs to uh, Maggie's apartment, which when they get there is unlocked and um, she's pretty sure that she locked it up when she had left. Yeah, something weird's going on here. Yep. So they go in. Um, as they're kind of like walking across the like main room, there's a crash and then another crash, which they hear is from the uh, bedroom area. And uh, now the two of them are both scared. They're like putting things together. Like, all right, the door's unlocked. We hear a crash. There's probably somebody in here. So um, James tries to find a weapon. He eventually grabs an umbrella. And uh, he's going to go in there and be uh, the macho man that he is and save the day and knock out this yeah. uh, this robber. He's. Dude. I thought he was going to be a little, I thought he was going to end up not wanting, like not going in. I mean, he does try to get Maggie to go in with him and a bunch of other kind of like, like posturing, but he does eventually go in. Which, and I thought this was kind of weird how scared he was and like how reliant he was on the umbrella, given that there was just a whole scene where he talks about how he was a Golden Gloves boxer. You would think that he would have been like a little bit more confident of just kind of running in himself. Yeah. Um, but he obviously has a lot of strong feelings for Maggie. Like this is someone that he wants to make sure that he can protect. And he goes in there yeah. with the umbrella. Uh, we hear like um, some noise, like it sounds like he's in a fight with this robber. And then he and then after he Maggie's mom come out and uh, he is now beaten up Maggie's mom with an umbrella. And she and swung back as well. She's got she got some hits in herself. He's got a black eye now, too. So um, so we go the next day now. Um, the security team has finished installing the security system. James comes over. Um, Maggie tells James, um, well, they, they're talking about the alarm for a second and then like, just, I don't know, it was kind of goofy, but like she makes him open the door a couple times and make the alarm go off, which her and Mickey think are like the funniest thing ever. Yeah. I mean, she's kind of testing it by, by just like messing around with James. Yeah. And I mean, when James, I think he comes in, sets it off and then leaves and sets it off again. And then that shows like Mickey laughing. And then that's kind of the end of the episode, like him leaving and setting off the alarm. And then there is another scene with Danielle and Mickey playing with the same toys. And that's, that's it. Yeah. But it's just like over the credits. There's not really anything any dialogue it. or anything like that. 
Um, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, TGIF for this week. Um, those are your four shows. Do you? Yeah. Want, do you want to rank them? Sure, we can rank them. You go first this time because I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready for this either, but I'll do it. I'm gonna say number four is Baby Talk. Yep. Agree. Number three. I'm gonna I'm gonna put Step by Step at number three. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm gonna do. Full Family Matters at two, and I, I liked Perfect Strangers. I thought it was a good episode. I, I really like when they kind of stay with the character development and the storylines. I, I enjoyed it. I liked I liked Perfect Strangers. Yeah, so we're pretty different on this one, I think. Uh, okay, I've got Baby Talk at four. I'm putting number three Family Matters. I didn't think it was that good of a Family Matters episode. I think the Romeo and Juliet connection bumped it up on your list for you. Maybe it's possible. And then uh, two, I've got Perfect Strangers, and one I like Step by Step a lot this week. That's I mean. Again, those like three core ones, a lot of times can be switched can around, around pretty easily. Yeah, they're not, I'm not like totally married to any of them as better than the other, but, but yeah, sure, I get it. Uh, what do we have coming up next week on the show? I know it's not a normal week of TGIF. It is not. Yeah, it's a little bit of a weird week. So uh, we've got Family Matters season three, episode four, step by step season one, episode four. And then they played an hour of the Clarence Thomas hearings, um, I assume live on TV or at least maybe from earlier that day for the nine o'clock hour. So there's no perfect strangers and no baby talk. I tried really hard to find the actual like ABC video of the hearings. And if I did, I was going to make you watch it. Um, But luckily for you, that's not the case. So I I think what we should do is just watch an episode of dinosaurs, talk about that, get a little bit closer to being caught up for when it, uh, when it starts on TGIF again. Yeah. I'm good with that. So next week we'll have, uh, you said family matters, step-by-step and dinosaurs. Yeah, and the dinosaurs episode, man, I, I have to look up the title of it and what even episode it is. Uh, but we'll we'll post it or we'll we'll just you know just tune in. We'll um, talk about dinosaurs. I'm looking at it on Disney Plus right now. If on Disney Plus, it's season two, episode seven. It's called Fran Live. I think yeah, Fran Live okay. is the name of the episode. Cool. Well, then we'll do Fran Live. Yep. Um, thanks again to uh, Tassos for the theme song this week. Yeah, thanks. Follow us on all social media at TGIFcast. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube. Just search Two Guys in a Fridays. And if you got your own version of the theme song and you want to email that or anything else, we do have an email address, TGIFcast at gmail.com. Send it on over. We'll we'll use it. I guarantee yeah, it. Uh, anything else, Steve? No, that's it. All right, man. Have a good week. You got it, dude. It's Friday night, and the mood is right. We're gonna have some fun, show you how it's time, DGIF. TBA Podcast.